If you're able, remain standing and turn with me to John chapter 6. Gospel of John chapter 6. Again, I just remind you that uh, tonight at 6 o'clock we plan to meet here again. And uh, we'll have a time of singing prayer. And I'll bring a report of Presbyterian. You'll want to be here for that if you, in fact, are, are able. Uh, John chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 22. And uh, we'll stop at verse 40. That will be our text for the sermon this morning. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the son of man will give you because God, the father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say it, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So the reading of God's word, let us pray together. Lord, as we break the, the bread of your word this morning, we pray that you would feed us that you would fill our souls with wonderful contentment, 
as we feed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So remember where we are in John's gospel. In chapter 6, Jesus has fed the 5,000. And as we've noted, that was 5,000 or so men. So roughly there could have been fifteen to 20,000 people there, including women and children. And after that, Jesus, uh, knowing that the crowds there wanted to force him to become king, a political king, not the right kind of king, the king that Jesus or that office of king that Jesus held. Jesus sent his disciples back roughly about 6 p.m. to Capernaum in the boat. He stayed behind. He was praying. A storm came. And so Jesus appeared. He walked on water miraculously to his disciples. He saved them. He got into the boat. And then in a miraculous act, he and they were transported by him immediately in an instant back to the shore. And so that's the context. That's the backdrop of verse 22, where it says on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw there was no other boat there. So that's the context. And if you happen to look down at verse 59, uh, as, as we read this fourth discourse of our Lord Jesus in John's gospel, we see that this one happens where? In Capernaum, in the synagogue. Jesus was teaching. It wasn't necessarily uh, the Sabbath day here, but it was in the synagogue that he gave all, if not most, of this discourse. Probably, I believe, all of it. And so it is, remember, the time of the Passover. So Jesus takes the opportunity to feed the 5,000 plus people. He feeds them bread. And so now he's going to, in this discourse, talk about bread once again. I mean, it was the time of the Passover. They ate bread. They remembered uh, that unleavened bread. And also, um, no doubt, they would recall, as we see here, Jesus moving through the wilderness, as it were, talking about Moses, the fact that the children of Israel ate bread from heaven in the wilderness in ages past. And so this is the backdrop. This is the backdrop, the background of the Jews' remaining unbelief in spite of the miracle that Jesus had just performed, where they come to him and he declares to them that he is the true bread that has come down from heaven. He repeats that throughout this discourse. He is the bread that comes down from heaven, verse 33, and throughout the remainder of this discourse. And so as we talk about this bread and this true bread that comes down from heaven this morning, there are three things I would like for us to notice concerning this true bread that comes down from heaven. So what are they? I think the first thing that we shouldn't overlook that we should see is that we have here a warning concerning the true bread from heaven. Now, it's not so much a warning about the bread as it is about humanity, humans in general. And it comes by way of example of the crowds who followed Jesus. We are told that they were seeking him. They found him. They were fed the 
The loaves of bread, again, as we read, we see that they were seeking Jesus. They come to him, they find him. But there's something wrong. So let us not miss what happened. Well, what happened? In verses 22 through 25, perhaps it's a little difficult to read in our English Bibles. And let me just say it is difficult to read in the original as well. But hopefully as I read it, you saw something there. Um, it was the next day after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus, remember, he, he, he sent his disciples back and he was back and with them. And so the people are looking for Jesus. They, it doesn't seem that they went home. They stayed around in this area overnight. So they're looking for Jesus. And verse 22, we see there's only one boat. You know, that, that's the case with the disciples and Jesus. They had one boat. And Jesus didn't get into the boat. They know that. And in verse 23, they, we, we find out that Jesus wasn't there. And they had no way of, or Jesus had no way of escaping their sight, it would seem. In verse 24, we are told when they saw that Jesus was not there, they went to Capernaum. And uh, there's more there. But the, the whole idea is, here, here's what I think John was saying. These people should have noticed that Jesus was not there, that he was left behind by the disciples and concluded that he could have transported himself somehow, some way. After all, how did he get back to Capernaum? He's already performed all of these signs in John's gospel. He's turned water into wine. He he multiplied the little loaves of bread into 5,000 plus loaves. And so they could have concluded, okay, Jesus, yeah, he's Jesus now. He, yeah, he's the prophet. He is the one who performs miracles. He could have gotten back somehow in some way. But they, they didn't make that conclusion. And this is because they, like all of us, before we came to Jesus Christ, are spiritually what? You might say dead. That's true. Ephesians 2, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. But therefore... We are spiritually dull. We are slow to understand, if we can even understand spiritual things at all. And 1 Corinthians 2 makes that point that really, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we understand the things of God. The deep things of God. And uh, we see that here. So in verse 25, uh, they find Jesus on the other side of the sea. They say to him, Rabbi, you know, teacher, when... Did you come here? Question ought to have been as well. How did you get here? But what we also learn here about these crowds is that they were following Jesus. Yes. But they were following Jesus for the wrong reason. The wrong reasons. And while we have to be careful as humans who are not all knowing... We have to be careful not to judge other people. We are taught here as well to examine our own reasons for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Our own reasons for attaching ourselves to the people of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 26, Jesus, he answers them, but he doesn't answer them. He gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves 
and were filled. So Jesus knows their motives. And uh, they are seeking him because they ate that bread. No doubt it's probably the best bread ever. And they were filled to their heart's content. Guess what? They want more. Why? Because after you eat, you get hungry again. And as John Calvin said, they sought in Christ something else other than Christ himself. Uh, They had not profited from the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So the only reason really they were seeking him was to make him the political king, to, to be the deliverer from the oppression of the Romans who had occupied their land illegitimately in their view, and also to give them bread. So Jesus then is, is their political deliverer, and he is their personal DoorDash. It's as if they were thinking, oh, this is great. Our king, he'll remove these illegal occupants from the land and he will feed us all our days. I mean, if there's ever a socialistic uh, uh, mentality here, we have it. And so before we noted that we need to be careful not to use Christianity, not to use the name of Jesus for our own personal political agendas You know, we could go back to the second psalm. Yes, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. All the the rulers of the earth must bow to Jesus and kiss the son. That is true. But let us not confuse the church of Jesus Christ with other political kingdoms. And here we are taught that uh, we need to examine why it is that we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if it's for Jesus to fix my back pain... If it's for Jesus to fill my bank account, you know, health, wealth and prosperity gospel, or if it's the social gospel, as we saw at the early 20th century, where the gospel is applied to all the social issues of the day. You know, there's deliverance from social oppression. Uh, the gospel can fix the economy. And, and again, the, the word of God does apply to every area of life, no doubt. But when it comes to the social gospel and then later liberation theology that Jesus came like this, this Moses, and they flattened the meaning of the gospel to relate only to this earth, only to the political spheres of this world, liberation theology and the words of one author, Richard Niebuhr. And I I go back to this quote because it's so great. He just summarized it like this. Speaking of the message of the social gospel, he said, the social gospel has gotten us this. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And so Christianity becomes do good. Do better. And you over there, follow Jesus and do better. And that's it. There's no talk about sin. There's no talk about true redemption by the blood of the, the Lord Jesus Christ on his cross. There's no talk about hell, heaven, true salvation, and all of these things. The focus is on the present, not the world to come, not the kingdom that Jesus is building and the kingdom that comes down in Revelation 21, 22 from heaven to the earth. And so we must ask ourselves today in light of these crowds, why have we come to Jesus 
Are we only concerned to get something from him? And are those things we want to get from him merely and only our physical needs? God does provide for his creation. Psalm 145 teaches that. We are to flee to the Lord and pray to him for our physical needs. Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. Give us what we need today to sustain our physical life. That is true. These, Jesus, these crowds come to Jesus, but Jesus sets them straight concerning this error. So the second thing then that we see here is how it is that one receives this true bread from heaven. Now we're going to talk about the true bread. We're going to identify this true bread, what it is. And one way we've determined what it is not, it's not literal, physical, daily bread. It's not our physical needs in this life. There's something more that we need. But let's see how it is that we receive this bread. Well, first of all, I think we should see that we receive this bread by looking heavenward. In verse 27, Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes. Do not labor. Stop laboring for the food that perishes, but for labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. So Jesus redirects their attention from the earthly things, from physical things, from real earthly bread to heavenly spiritual bread. In other words, we talk about types, things that are typical. You know, one thing represents another, a sign, the thing signified, a type, the antitype. The antitype is the thing that the type speaks about. So there is bread that Jesus is talking about as far as the miracle, but that bread points to something else. It points to something physical or rather spiritual. Excuse me. So what is he talking about? Well, he says, labor not for food that perishes, literally food that disappears. You know, if you, if you eat food, it disappears into your stomach. It's gone. It's no more. And you, you know what? If you eat, you have to eat again or you die and you get hungry. Only hours later after you eat a meal. And so Jesus here is teaching us to, to think about spiritual things, eternal things, that our worldview as Christians is not a materialistic worldview. And that is out there today. And I, I'm, I'm, I was tempted, you know, as a preacher, you have to determine what not to say as well as what to say. But let me just say there are forces out there today, evil forces and uh, driving things. And they are materialistic. One, one such man um, has said that human beings are hackable animals. And uh, he has this terrible, wicked agenda. And uh, he, he not only wants to track humans outside where they go, but he wants to track what's going on inside every human. And, and there's a whole other a discussion to be had about that. But the point is, we are not materialistic. I don't mean consumeristic. We're not that. We aren't materialist. So when we see a human, we don't see just a blob of flesh. We just don't see a bag of blood and bones. We see a person, a human being. We see a soul inside of that person. We don't merely have brains. We have minds. 
And so Colossians 3 tells us in verse 1. It's, uh, verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. So we're to be lifted up to focus our gaze to heaven. That's what Jesus is telling them here when he says, Labor, strive, work hard, not for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Is Jesus here teaching works salvation, by the way? He says labor, work hard for it. For the food that endures to everlasting life. Well, look at it. If you read the text carefully, he says, for the food which endures... It remains, it keeps on to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will what? Give you this bread, this food. The old King James says meat. This food is a gift of God. It's given by the Son of Man himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls himself the Son of Man. This is a term of deity, but it also points us to his humanity. Uh, he's the son of man. He has come down. He's been incarnated, taken upon human flesh. He is identified with his people. Why has he done that? We don't just celebrate Christmas. Some of us do. Some of us may not. But we don't just look at Christmas and say, yes, that's, that's the end game. No, there's also the resurrection. So Jesus was incarnate to live and to die in the place of sinners. That's how he will give this life, this gift to those who take it. He is saying, apply the same effort you use daily to get food. To get spiritual food from heaven. In Matthew chapter six, our Lord teaches something similar there. You know, he talks about the care, the concern, the worry of the Gentiles You know, the Gentiles, they don't know God. They are without God in the world, as Paul says. And what happens as a result of that? They don't have faith in God and uh, they worry. So Jesus says, stop worrying. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then in Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So prioritize your pursuit. Prioritize your labors. Seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that comes in the form of a gift that is presented to us here in John chapter 6 as the bread come down from heaven. And so then they, these people, these Jewish people demand that a sign be given. And that's only after Jesus says that he will give it to you because God the Father, verse 27, has set his seal on him. <clears throat> this, this past week, my wife and I received a thank you note in the mail. And on the back, there was the sticker. It was a letter. And it was, its purpose was to, to signify the old signet ring seal, you know, wax. And the king would put his signet ring into the hot wax. And then they would show that he is sending this letter that it has come from him. And so that letter then has that seal. 
And it shows that it is, in fact, from the king. It shows that this letter bears authority. And so the father has put his seal on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come from heaven. The father has put his sign signifying that this one, Jesus, has come from his presence, from heaven. And he comes with authority. And so that's why Jesus says that. And then they say to him, verse 28, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? You see, they still don't get it. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, we heard you and uh, we want to do something. I mean, who taught these people before Jesus? Scribes and Pharisees, I think I heard it. And what do they teach? Works, 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 do, do. You want to enter the kingdom? Okay, here's the, here's the goal. Okay, reach this goal. You'll, oh, let me move it a little bit farther out. Okay, here, now do that. Oh, let me move it a little bit farther. Oh, do, uh, they'll never get in. Got to work, work, work. So that's what's happening here. They didn't catch what Jesus says. The Son of Man will give it to you. And so that's what they ask. They ask this question, show us what we must do. And uh, so what does Jesus say? Verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. See, the Jews seek a sign. The Jews are stubborn. They do not want to receive a gift. They want to perform something so that they can put it on their spiritual resume and show it to God at the last day and say, here's all the things that I've done. Let me in, please. And uh, you know what? It's no different with men today, especially where Christianity has gone and been established for some time. I've seen this. Of course, I'm from the South and in the South, everyone thinks they're Christian. At least it used to be that way until people moved into the South who weren't from the South. But that's the way it used to be. So, yeah, I'm a Christian. I walk the aisle. My grandma's a Christian. Therefore, I'm a Christian. I have a Bible. I'm a Christian. Whatever. I do this. I do that. Or you can go to California where there's a heavily Dutch population. They brought the Dutch Reformed churches in. and They have generation after generation after generation. And so they, they think the same thing. Well, what's the point? It's, it's that they haven't gotten it. They think that they are saved by works. Jesus Shreds that teaching. And so they ask for these credentials of Jesus. Verse 30. They said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert and they go on. He gave him bread and so forth. They quote from uh, Psalm 78, I think it is. Yeah, verse 24. And because of Jesus's answer and uh, that psalm, we can conclude that they were basically saying something like this. Okay, Jesus, um, you show us a sign then. After all, yeah, you fed us. You know, there's 5,000, 15,000, whatever. There's a lot of us. But you had that, that little lad's loaf and you just took that and multiplied it. Well, our people way back. They were under Moses' ministry. Moses is the greatest prophet ever. And uh, he fed our family in the wilderness, like 50,000 or so people, maybe more. And uh, can you do that? Then maybe we'll believe. Well, how does Jesus answer them? Verse 32, 
He says, most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, mark this, highlight this, don't forget this. I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you. He is giving you the true bread from heaven. So he is saying that Moses only gave you bread. And really, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread. It was the father in heaven who gave you bread. It was manna come down from heaven. Remember, so Moses told them how to go out and get it. He was the administrator, the facilitator, not the giver. Then, he, then Jesus says his father in heaven, claiming deity once again, is giving the true bread from heaven, the true bread. So in other words, that bread in the wilderness, the manna was a type. What or who then is the antitype, the fulfillment? Children, do you know? In the wilderness, there was manna. The manna signified somebody. Who did it signify? Who would come down from heaven and feed his people with himself? Sunday school answer, Jesus. And Jesus dismantles their assumptions. And so this one who is the bread of life gives life to the world, not just the Jews, as verse 33 tells us. And Jesus, therefore, in verse 33, identifies himself as the true bread. It is he who comes down from heaven. And so they say in verse 34, Lord, give us this bread always. Okay, we hear you have our ears. Give us this bread always. They still don't understand. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am. Ego a me. I alone. Yes, this is an I am statement. This does point us back to the I am of Exodus 3, that God is the one who is. He is eternal, self-existent. And Jesus comes down because he is coming from heaven. He is part of that trinity, the true and living God. He is the great I am, yes. And he is the bread of life. This is a metaphor. And it's a part for the whole. You know, we talk about bread today. Maybe we still do in some parts of our culture. Bread or dough can refer to cash. Or bread can refer to food in general as it did here. He didn't say I'm the fish of life because, because God didn't give fish from heaven. He gave bread or manna. What is it? Whatever. If you know the Hebrew or whatever, it says what is it in the Old Testament for manna. But the point is bread stands for food. For food. And Jesus says, I myself am the bread of life. And this is James 1.17 applied to its perfection that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Jesus himself comes from God. For he is the God man. And he alone is the bread of life. And so then how does one receive this bread? Well, he tells us in verse 29, it's by believing in Jesus. By verse 35, we see, according to that, that it's coming to Jesus. In verse 35, again, it's believing in Jesus. So it's by faith. This will be very important when you read verse 51 later about eating 
Jesus' flesh and drinking Jesus' blood. We are not cannibals. Jesus never taught cannibalism. That was the mistake of these false temporary disciples. That's what they understood. And so that's how you come to Jesus. You believe in him. You trust in him. You have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verse 36, they make this deadly mistake. Um, It says that Jesus told them, he said, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. I mean, he has performed all these signs. He is standing before them. He has taught them. He's telling them as plain as day who he is, what they must do. They still don't believe. Well, that's going to come up again in John 6, 44. I don't want to give away that sermon, but uh, that refers to mankind's inability to come to Jesus apart from the sovereign, all-powerful grace of God through the Holy Spirit. And so then, after this and this warning, we see this bread of life identified. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what if they had partaken of this bread? What benefit would this bread bring? Christian, you have eaten this bread. You have trusted in Jesus Christ. You have eaten metaphorically, spiritually, by faith. You have eaten of the bread of life. What blessings have come upon you because of that? I don't want to miss this. This is a whole another sermon, but I'm going to hopefully give it to you in like three minutes. What are the blessings? What are the benefits of receiving the true bread from heaven? I think there are three, at least here in this passage. The first one is eternal sustenance. Verse 27 Verse 33, Jesus says it is everlasting life. It is eternal life. Jesus has come to give Zoe life, abundant life, eternal life, life that never dies. And this is in contrast with what happened in Genesis 6 when Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. They ate of it and they died spiritually and they began to die physically. And so they lost communion with God. They lost that saving, everlasting relationship with God. And so we come into the world as their children. We come into this world fallen, dying, and we will die bodily. And we've lost our communion with God. And therefore, we are full of misery, heartache, and all of these things. But guess what? This is why the true bread has come to give what no loaf of bread can give today. Eternal life. People are seeking this. You know, I appreciate medicine. I'm not one of those who, you know, does, I don't like going to the doctor, uh, but I will if I have to. And uh, I do appreciate good doctors. I appreciate safe medicine. <laughs> uh, but I also know that it's not going to keep me alive forever. There are people who partake of something called cryonics. They freeze their pets or they and their will say, I want to be frozen with the hope that I'll be resuscitated in 100 years. I don't think that was true of Walt Disney. You can look it up on the internet. But there are people who do this. They think that that's going to save them. And maybe they'll freeze themselves again. Maybe they'll keep doing that throughout time. And they'll wake up in the middle of a nuclear war or something. I don't know. Or maybe people try to escape death. In various ways. Food, hoarding, drugs, sex, 
go on and on and on. Pleasure, work. You can just immerse yourself in work so you, you don't have to think about anything outside. No, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life eternal. John 10, 28, he says, I give them eternal life. And John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And so he brings eternal sustenance. Second, he brings eternal satisfaction. That's in verse 35. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, who believes in me, who trusts in me, shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Can you imagine eating something one time and never hungering again? Late 90s, something like that. It was trendy to have bread machines in your home. We had one. I probably gained 50 pounds. My wife would pour in all the ingredients into this you know, little bread machine, plug it in. We go worship, come back two hours later, and you, you go to the front door. And it's like the smell is coming from under the, the threshold of the door. And you go in, and you just can't wait to put a, a whole thing of butter on that bread, and it just melts in your mouth like cotton candy. And instantly, my pants began to get tight, and two hours later, I was hungry again. What are we having for, for dinner? It doesn't satisfy. And so that's the nature of food. Well, Jesus says, if you eat of this food, you'll never hunger again. You will never thirst. I mean, oh, I've got so much more to say. Read Ecclesiastes. That's what the author is doing there. He's forcing you in a corner. He's saying, look, you can try to make sense of this life from under the sun. That is from this world's view, not from God's view, not from a biblical worldview. And so when you do that, you can go out and try to find meaning in life through pleasure, through work, through riches, all of these things. But he says it's all vanity of vanities. It's grasping for the wind. You can't catch it. You can't obtain it. You can't do it. And Jesus appears and he says, nope, Ecclesiastes was right. Here I am. I'm the bread of life. I am the one who gives you satisfaction. Third, there is eternal security. That's in verses 37 through 40. Again, there's a whole other sermon here. But in verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. All that the Father gives to me? You mean, God the Father has these souls that he... Gives to Jesus. He certainly does. Ephesians 1 4 talks about that. These are the ones chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. And in John 17, just before his death and his high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus prays this. John 17 and verse 6. Praying to the Father, I have manifested your name to the men. Whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Jesus will pray for his disciples. And then he will pray for those who believe in him through their testimony and so on. And so he's praying for us today. We're part of that group. We're part of the elect and the chosen of God. So what's Jesus saying here? We are eternally secure. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. He is sovereign. He has said it. It is certain. It is true because it is on his promise. And he's the God who cannot lie. And he says, they will come to me. So here's human responsibility. You must come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are cursed forever. And you will experience eternal death, not eternal life. But if you do come, you are secure in him. That is what Jesus is teaching here. He says, by no means cast out. Our salvation is based on his promise. William Hendrickson said this. That this salvation, it is a counsel that cannot be changed. A calling that cannot be revoked. And an inheritance that cannot be defiled. A foundation that cannot be shaken. A seal that cannot be broken. And a life that cannot perish. Isn't that glorious? If you're a Christian, you're like me. You know you're prone to wander. You know that there are times where you kind of wait and you want to sin. You know you're going to do it. And yet, if you come to Christ, he will by no means cast you out. Now, this is not a license to sin. Colossians 3, 5 says, put sin to death, mortify it, kill it. But Jesus is saying there's nothing to prevent you from coming to him. And if you do come to him, he will never cast you out. You're held in his hand securely. He is held in the Father's hand securely. No one, he says in John 10, will snatch you out of my hand. What if someone leaves the faith? 1 John 2, 19. Uh, They went out from us because they were not of us. That means they were never truly a Christian in the first place. See, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. All who come to Jesus will persevere to the end. And it's only by God's power and grace that we do persevere. Philippians 1 teaches that. As Paul said to Timothy, I'm convinced that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him that day. He has come down for this purpose to secure forever those who come to him. And so this morning, If you're sitting here and you've never come to Jesus Christ, I don't assume that of you. I know others might listen. If you've never come to Jesus Christ, then are you guilty of feeding on the crumbs of this world? Seeking meaning, seeking satisfaction in things that God calls abomination, Sin, or perhaps even gifts that he has given to you. Food, clothing, shelter, relationships, jobs, money, and so forth. Do you see your need for this bread? That only he can satisfy your soul's longing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Children, listen to me carefully. If you've forgotten everything else, remember this. Jesus is the bread of life. He gives eternal life. You partake of that eternal life. You get that eternal life by trusting in him. And only he can satisfy your soul's craving. And you will be tempted 
by the world, if you haven't already, once you get out of mom and dad's care and you go out on your own, you're going to be tempted by the world to go after things. Let's do this. Let's party. Let's do all these things, sinful things. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. But guess what? The next day, you're going to wake up. You're going to be hungry again. You're going to be in misery. Or it might be 10 years. It might be 10 decades if you live that long. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He satisfies your soul. And Christian, are you guilty of feeding on the stale, empty crumbs of this world? On feeding on social media rather than the bread of life himself? At times, yes. But know this. Did you catch what Jesus said? Verse 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Jesus had a task to fulfill. And that was to be the second Adam. To do what the first Adam failed to do. To obey perfectly his father's command who said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So they may go to the cross and wipe away our sins. So guess what? Not only does Jesus through his death wipe away our crime record against God, the father, God himself, he gives to us his perfect record. He was fully, completely, always devoted to his father, even to the point of death. And so when we sin, we need to remember that. Our salvation is not based on what we do, as was the deadly error of these Jews here. No, it's based on what the bread of life has done for us. Amen? And so let us remember that. Let us renew our commitment to him. And then go back and feed on the bread of life. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the Lord. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, the bread of life, who feeds forever hungry and thirsty souls. We pray that we would feed on him now, even as Christians, again and again and again. For your glory, we pray. Amen.